You're listening to The Masters with Tiffany and Company on Monocle 24. Come with us as we meet pioneers from the fields of design, art, fashion, sport, music and more. Diverse fields, a range of talents. What unites all these trailblazers is a certain mastery. A mastery of craftsmanship, of technique, of materials, of innovation driving what they do. We'll hear about their life and work and hopefully understand a little bit more about how those notions have shaped them. Maybe too we'll divine a sense of the philosophy that's brought them here and might just inspire us in however small a way to follow in their storied footsteps. We start with a past master of design, craft, provenance, wisdom and innovation. That man is Reed Krakoff, Tiffany's chief artistic officer. Monocle's Ed Stocker went to Tiffany's Fifth Avenue flagship in New York City to meet Reed. Ed began by asking him about the responsibility he feels in stewarding this storied name. History, it has such an incredible commitment to craftsmanship and quality, but at the same time, when I spoke to them before I got here, it was a moment when the brand was ready to really, let's say, write the next chapter of Tiffany. And it was something that was, you know, really a dream job for me to be able to lead the company creatively and to really be the first creative director of the company. You know, it was an incredible honor, incredible responsibility as well. You really feel the pressure of the past, Tiffany, and the extraordinary accomplishments that have been made. And at the same time, there's this permanency to jewelry that I think I definitely felt much less so when I was really working in the fashion business, where things move much more quickly, much more disposable. It was much more about the new, the new, the new. You have to remember these pieces of jewelry that we just looked at. Some of them will be well into the six and seven figures. They're pieces that people will hand down generation after generation. They'll be around for a long time. So you really have to love what you've created, but also you have that responsibility to live up to the reputation. That's interesting, talking about this idea of reputation and heritage. How does that affect the design process, I guess, when you're looking forward? Are you always keeping one eye in the past when you're looking at new pieces, for example? So it's a good question. I think there's no easy answer to that. The one thing I was definite about when I started was I wanted to absorb as much as I possibly could about the history. So I spent a couple months spending time in the archives, spending time looking through old marketing, old store interiors, collections, collaborations, catalogs, everything I could get my hands on and to just absorb it all, but then put it away. I think the danger is to kind of oscillate between the two. You can create something that's a neither enough about the past or enough about the future. And you get into this funny space where I'm not sure it's that interesting to anyone. So I think you almost have to force yourself to sort of let go, assume that it's kind of part of your thought process as you design, as you create new campaigns, as you work on store interiors. It kind of makes its way into that work. I'm a big believer in that intuitive work. I mean, you mentioned your fashion career. You obviously had a, a long time in the world of fashion before what sort of rules apply to Tiffany that you can take from that, that previous career you had? It's really part of people's life. It's much more, of a lasting, much more of a lasting symbol of who you are and how you live your life and what's important to you in terms of your look and your, let's say, your style. So it's really an anchor of people's styles. So I think it's a big step to buy a piece of jewelry that you're going to wear 
could be thousands of times versus a pair of shoes that if you love them, you'd wear a bunch of times. You'd probably get another pair. That level of permanency is definitely changes how people think about buying jewelry versus fashion. I think in addition, it's a much more, in a way, it's a much more traditional industry because of the pace, which is necessarily much slower because of the fact that people just don't buy jewelry at the rate that they buy, let's say, handbags. Again, because of the price, because of the type of thing that it is. And again, people usually buy jewelry as, as a major event. It's something serious and something that's, that's really thought about. So fashion can be that, but I would say in the main, it's really not that. And over the last bunch of years, it's really become not that. It's much more about fast fashion. It's much more about great quality at great prices. You can kind of find anything anywhere these days, online, in store, however you, however you want to find something. So jewelry has kind of kept this kind of steady pace. It's still quite, let's say, traditional in a way, the industry. So the big difference is the pace and I would say the way people approach purchasing each is, is quite different. Let's talk about that a little bit more, this way of purchasing. Obviously, Tiffany is one of the world's most recognizable luxury brands, but luxury has also shifted quite a lot over the last, I don't know, say two decades. How do you think that affects the way people are shopping at Tiffany or the sorts of things they want to consume? So luxury, as you said, has evolved enormously in the last, even the last 10 years. I mean, I think the biggest shift is that many, many more people now participate in the world of luxury. You know, and there's many reasons you can point to that. One is obviously the fact that you can find anything online, essentially, and you can shop the world sitting at home. So just the exposure to the market. Second is the amazing exposure to popular culture and how jewelry is represented in it, as well as everything else. So there's an incredible amount of information, an incredible amount of content that just there would just be no way to imagine how that many people could absorb it. So what has that done? That's created more interest. It's created more awareness. It's created an expanded consumer base. So it, in a way, it's a funny thing to say maybe, but it's become slightly more democratic. I think the other piece of it is that the casualization of luxury. It's just not as uptight as it used to be. And a lot of that is, again, it's sort of chicken and egg. It's not clear as to whether it's the consumer that was demanding it and the brands being opportunistic or the brands feeling they need to evolve and the consumer, therefore, reacting to it. But I think that casualization, that link to popular culture is enormous, an enormous influence on luxury. Connecting that to Tiffany Men's, the heart of it really is an outgrowth of our facility in Rhode Island, our workshop there, where craftspeople have been making everything from the Super Bowl trophy to men's cufflinks for the last hundred and some odd years to take that as something real and something that we can really show things that have come out of that shop as opposed to talking about it, but also creating a collection that's a modern take on those crafts and those techniques that Tiffany has really developed over the years. Can you give us an idea, if you like, of your your working world, how the design process works from initial ideas to then ending up being manufactured? The design process for me is something that runs across all the aspects of the creative side of the business. A collection can grow out of a concept in marketing, a social media campaign, a concept within store design, an event. It doesn't really have a beginning. It doesn't really have an end. 
I mean, one of the benefits of being able to lead the, the entirety of the creative edge of Tiffany is that all of the teams and all of the activities kind of build on each other. And, and the more you do that, the more refined the story gets and the more interesting, the more compelling, I think, the better the work. So it's funny, my design process really isn't limited to design. It's sort of, in a way, a stop along that continuum. For instance, with Makers, the Makers collection for men's, it really started with a trip to Rhode Island. It had nothing to do with men's, actually. And watching these craftspeople and really being in awe of what they're able to do, I thought, how do we take advantage of this? And how do we communicate this in a way that's not just Tiffany makes things the old-fashioned way and you know that's meaningful, which it is, but it's, it's just not that interesting to people these days. So talked about women's, we talked about home and accessories, which we did quite a bit in home and accessories with the craftspeople. But men's really felt like the right place for a collection to be based out of the workshop in that I think, particularly as Tiffany interprets men's jewelry, it's more subtle than decorative. It's more about the building up of details, but really rooted in classic construction, the way to make things that are, let's say, uncluttered and simple, but at the same time have a modern take on them. Because no one really wants more of what we've done in the past. People want that commitment and that level of quality and craftsmanship more as a starting point, not as an end point. So really incorporating that into modern design and a modern take is I think what created the collection and and why it has a feeling that it's something that is rooted in the past, but really of today. Give us an idea, a sense of what the direction, what you were thinking, what you wanted from this men's collection. I mean, what's interesting is that the way we put the collection together was more about what would you hope to find if you walked into Tiffany and you were a customer or you were a customer that's, that hasn't walked into Tiffany, that's buying men's furnishings, buying jewelry, buying home and accessories elsewhere. And it really was more, let's say, broken into multiple categories. There was a home effort where we started thinking about barware and accessories and then we moved into travel. Then we started thinking about activities. That's where the pool table came from, where we worked with Black Billiards, which is the oldest American pool table maker to create a one-of-a-kind handmade oak pool table. Of course, jewelry was always centered around it. So a lot of the detailing, the techniques, and let's say the design language grew out of the jewelry. I would say all of it did, either out of the maker's collection or out of Diamond Point. So that's sort of the centerpiece. And then as you move into barware, there's a Diamond Point collection. When you move into travel, there's Diamond Point. There's a maker's concept in watches. So those are kind of sort of the arms and legs that grow out of the center, which is, of course, jewelry. So it it was very much back and forth. We'd create something at home, and it would give us an idea for, for jewelry. We'd create something in jewelry and then actually ended up in high jewelry, which is sort of the furthest... I would say furthest away from the core of the men's jewelry. We wanted to create pieces as jewelry becomes more important in the men's wardrobe, almost more an accessory. In a funny way, I don't think of it as jewelry. I think about it more as something that's part of someone's wardrobe. We created pieces that were sort of part of the extraordinary jewelry that we do in our high jewelry, all the way down to a sterling silver cuff, something you'd wear every single day. So it really was that expansiveness of how a man dresses, how they live at home, 
how they travel. And it always is an outgrowth of what can we do that you can't get anywhere else? What could we do that could only be from Tiffany? No one needs another passport holder or another pair of cufflinks. Everything had to have an idea and everything had to have a reason for being. So there was a lot of editing about things that maybe we loved but didn't really add to the story. So the objective was to create this story across categories, across attitudes, across the way you use these things to create a world. And can you give us an idea of just, I guess, the skill that's needed to produce some of these pieces? So one of the hardest things, I think, is to make something simple but still desirable. And that balance between the two is sort of a never-ending quest, I would say. The idea of creating these pieces out of solid sterling silver, out of flat sheets of sterling, rendering something intricate and rendering something that is unrecognizable from that is, is pretty extraordinary. And it's something that's done by people that are second, third generation. It's something that you can't learn to do in six months. It's something that a lot of the people that are doing it have spent 10, 20, 30 years doing this. And it's, it's a true craft. And it's something that... I would say in fashion, there's less and less. I'm talking about the difference between fashion and jewelry. I think one of the things I love about making jewelry is that there's a real appreciation and there's a real focus on quality and craftsmanship in a real way, not in a marketing sense. Because, again, everyone from you know, mid-market sportswear makers to, to luxury makers are, are saying that they are luxury and they're making things in the old-fashioned way. And that's why we can justify this price. We don't really have to talk about it because you can see it. You can see it in the materials. You can see it in the finish. You can see it in just the presence of these pieces. They have a real importance to them and a simplicity to them, which, as I said, is, is tough to achieve. It takes a refinement and it takes a, a skill that just only comes with doing something for a very long time. I mean, one of the exciting parts of my job is I get to work with these incredible craftspeople in our workshop in Rhode Island. We have a few other workshops, one in New York City as well, and one above the store and a variety of other places. But in particular, we're talking about the men's collection. One of the most exciting things was to meet with them and talk about how can we take this heritage, this commitment to craftsmanship, but introduce it in a way that's unexpected and introduce it in a way that's kind of disruptive and irreverent. The very first few projects we did together were things that they had never made to be honest, I wasn't sure it could be made. And what was really gratifying is they absolutely loved the challenge. They absolutely were incredibly proud to showcase what they could do. The early pieces are all signed by each of the craftspeople that worked on them. They're really pieces that, that feel like they'll, they're made, you know, historical pieces. You make one of them and it takes a year or two years to make, and, and it's something that really becomes immediately part of the history of the company. The very first thing that, that I made with them was, it's hard to explain what it was. I wanted to take a formal sort of classical form, I should say the tea set, which is very much when you think of Tiffany, you think of sterling silver tea set, but do it in a way that felt as refined, but at the same time, done in a way that felt modern. So we took the idea of tread plate, or skid plate, people call it, where you have these diamonds molded into steel you see on shipping docks and places like that, which is something you kind of see around the building, actually, at the flagship store, in the back halls and things. And the reference to diamonds and the reference to this utilitarian material, and then crossing that with a classical, more refined, formal 
idea like a tea set. The intersection of those two things was really interesting. So we created a tea set with five pieces and it was rendered in uh, solid sterling each diamond point, which was countersunk and hand soldered onto each piece. It was a thousand pieces, I think. A thousand diamonds were countersunk and soldered and polished out. It's quite amazing to see that. And it's, it has the crispness and the utility of actually what you would see in the back holes of the building, this beautiful stainless steel tread plate. But at the same time, it has a softness as it's bending around in these shapes like a teapot and a creamer and sugar and teaspoon and the tray, of course. So it was really a good proxy for kind of this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to take something that is modern and unexpected, but combine it and fuse it with this incredible old world craftsmanship. And what was amazing is it, it took about nine months and four people to make. And it was sold quickly. Actually, people want something that they can only get one of, or they want something that the commitment to that quality and craftsmanship is undeniable. And it was something that, you know, we weren't so sure that it was extraordinarily expensive because of the amount of time and work. And the appreciation was really gratifying, I think, for all of us, that someone would want to make that part of their home. What legacy would you like to, to carve out for yourself and for the brand? What I would hope is that in 20 years from whenever the day is I leave Tiffany one day, 20 years after, 30 years after, this next chapter will be exciting and provocative and more than anything will make sense as a next chapter. I think that's the most tricky part is to to continue that story, but to be bold and to have courage and to be able to feel like it's okay to take chances and a lot of them worked out. Some of them maybe didn't work out, but you really have to. The worst thing would be not to do anything provocative. So really the idea is for it to, years later, for it to be something that's enticing and something that's interesting and something that people say, you know, this was a period where this happened definitively. And it moved Tiffany forward in the world of luxury. And you can find out more about the men's collection and see Reed's work firsthand. Just head to tiffany.com and search men's jewellery. In the episodes of this show ahead, we'll follow the fascinating path that Reed's mapped out for us today as we look to build a comprehensive and compelling picture of the philosophy and discipline that unites a group of inspirational innovators across the fields of design, art, music and more. But that's all for today's edition. Thanks to Ed Stocker and Henry Reese Sheridan reporting for Monocle in New York City. I'm Tom Edwards. This is The Masters with Tiffany & Company on Monocle 24.